0: It seems that almost everywhere you look in northwest Arkansas, a new residential subdivision or apartment complex is under construction. But experts still say the demand for housing is outstripping the current supply, especially for those looking for more affordable housing. But building affordable housing is more complicated than you may think. We're going to talk about how one local city has been asked to help speed up that process on today's Know the News podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Rusty Turner. I'm the host of the Know the News podcast, which is brought to you each week by the newsroom of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette. Our reporter, Doug Thompson, has a story coming out this weekend about Bentonville's approach to meeting the demand for affordable housing in the region. And he's here today to talk about that story. Hi, Doug. How do you do? Also with us today on the phone is Bill Burkhart. He's a longtime Bentonville resident and owner of Burkhart Construction Company, and he's currently a member of the city council, has been on the city council since 2008 in Bentonville. He's got quite a bit of insight into the local housing market, as you can tell, and and also in the city's effort to meet this growing demand for affordable housing. Thanks for being here today, Bill.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: All right. Well, Doug, let's start this way. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your story you've got coming this weekend?
2: Well, uh, anybody who's tried to buy a house or anybody who's getting flyers in his mailbox saying, "Hey, would you like to sell your house?" knows that there's a shortage that there's a shortage of, uh, of And when people say affordable houses, you know, people tend to think of, of low income and such as that. It's not necessarily so. People making a good living are getting squeezed. I mean, this housing study, uh, that Bentonville recently concluded, their working group on housing affordability. Says that people, you know, people who are qualified to buy a house up to two hundred twenty-nine thousand dollars still have trouble finding one. As a matter of fact, one of the things in the report that struck me was um, uh, people who could afford a lot more of a house than than in that range, that two hundred to three hundred thousand dollar range are going ahead and snapping up the ones that become available in that range because, uh, you know, they, if a house comes out on the market in northwest Arkansas, uh, people jump on it. Uh, I'm, I'm relined, reminded of the colloquialism uh, duck on a June bug. But anyway, <laughs> uh, it, uh, it's become serious. It's become serious because when we were small towns in northwest Arkansas, you could just build another subdivision somewhere near the city limits or something like that. Well, now the distances are getting so far. And with the lack of public transportation, commuting is getting so expensive that, uh, yeah, it's getting a real squeeze. And, and groups from the Northwest Arkansas Council, that regional group of business leaders and what have you on down, have recognized this as our number one bottleneck. If we're gonna keep growing, this problem's gotta be solved. Now, Mr. Burke I'm gonna defer much, I've talked enough, I'm gonna defer much of the rest to Mr. Burkhart because I moved up here in 1998 and back in, even back then, Mr. Burkhart was warning that this was on the horizon.
0: So, so, Bill, that kind of leads me to our next question. What, you know, what was it about the housing market then and the, and the trends then that made you say, hey, I think, I think we may have a, a, a potential problem here? How did, how did that idea develop for you?
1: Well, it really started as a small businessman. And being part of a peer group of business owners in the area, we realized that uh, the bulk of our, our workforce, or in, as of now, 51%, really has a housing need that falls below what we have available growing up here everybody could find a house at any price uh, we were a well diverse community uh, whether you made a little or made a lot there was a home for you as we progressed through the 80s and 90s and we became our our growth was more and our job growth was more and we had more people moving here we weren't able to produce and as as the the type of housing, the quantity of housing that we needed. And as we've moved into the 2000s, our production abilities become less and less and our requirements become more and more. And so that it just leads up to a perfect storm for an entire missing housing segment. Obviously, for-profit builders and developers are gonna move to the highest margins, the highest profit amount. And so as you try to find reasons why they convince them to move into this lower tier, it's harder and harder to do so. And to Doug's point, you know, a lot of the people that work here, we're not talking about uh, always the the very low income. You know, 24% of these are your health dietitians or diagnostics, your business and financial operations, you know, engineering people. Uh, tier 2, almost 13% ha- healthcare health care and law enforcement. And I try to say, you know, of, of all the people that we're talking about, it's really the person standing next to you. It's mm-hmm. the person working for us. It's your mom. You know, my mom looked for a place to live. It was very difficult. My kids are out of college. They can't afford the rent. So we're not talking about just one segment of the population. We're talking about a large group of everybody. Mm-hmm.
0: And so you know the um, basic economics te- teaches us that when there is uh, when there is demand for for say houses of a of a certain size and, and certain price range uh, that the market would adapt to that and those those houses would be, be would be built so that that demand would be met but you know we're we're really not seeing that right now uh, according to the experts that, that that those gaps aren't being filled by the market itself so uh, I guess that's what brought about this uh, this uh, this working group that and the study that, that Doug's been writing about.
1: Yes, I mean, you're, you're looking really, in a, most of it, the challenges really increased to crisis stage after the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. We lost half their production ability in our builders and developers and our workforce, our tradesmen in our workforce, which others are working on our workforce capacity. But in doing so, we got the... The gap that it was, was made with the lack of production, we've never backfilled since 2012. So not only have we not been able to catch up, we're not able to keep up even if we were on an annual basis because we're not, our production is not keeping up with our, our supply needs. So you're exactly right. It really is a basic math between supply and demand. We're not able to keep up with the demand and therefore the supply is not available. What supply is available is going to those that really aren't challenged with trying to come up with the house payment or down payment or struggling with these prices that we have currently. So both of the inflation, the lack of production and the supply demand curve is just making it out of reach. We went from a little over 20 percent of our production was in these tiers before the Great Recession and now we're less than 7 percent. So and we're talking about fifty one percent of the population. So you can see the inequality there in the formula just at the highest level. Right.
0: So so in your you know, you've got two different roles uh, to, to to play in this uh, in this situation, Bill. You're a developer, so you're building houses, you're looking for opportunities to, to build and, and sell houses and provide that that gap and fill that gap in the market but you're also a city council member and you're looking at this from a from an infrastructure point of view and also you know a community point of view where are our workers are going to live where are the people who are who are populating our businesses where are they going to live and how are they going to get to and from work so how do you address it from a public policy standpoint how do how do we how do we get more developers interested in in building those affordable houses and and making it affordable for them to do so and still make a profit
1: well, it is, a, it is a difficult hatch to swap back and forth. Obviously, the more production we have, the more supply we have, the less profit as a private person in my own business uh, I would make.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, the, the more housing out there, the, the less we can demand in our price. You also have to have good policy, and, and good policy is a community. Uh, if we're to succeed, you know, in the business forecast the other day, just to put a point on that, if we're, there's only a couple things that can stop us. The lack of housing, the lack of transportation that ties to that, and the workforce that can fill the jobs. And they're all tied together. And so as a policy, as somebody that has grown up here that cares deeply about this area and the growth of this area and the business community and the citizens, we have to address it. And so the only way we can address it after the year-long with all the stakeholders we've arrived at Unless you can create an avenue and, and encourage private sector and, in some cases, public par- private partnerships to directly enter these markets, you're not going to have them. So, we have to be a partner as the city f- from the city side, and we have recommendations in the report to do so, and we can go into those if you choose. Uh, how we can encourage, because what we need to do is our actions and these encouragements is there to create a response from the development community because right now we don't have it because why would they go down where profits are limited mm-hmm. when they can sell other houses or, or developments or keep their rents at market rates so we we had to create an action plan that encourages movement into this product and into these this missing middle housing which is kind of a catchphrase that where people have used but it's true it's a it's really an entire missing segment of the of the market right now because it's so difficult to obtain. So that's our goal right now as a policymaker is through our recommendations that we made uh, is this is how we believe that we can encourage people to participate in a, a challenging market. Yeah.
2: Well, I'd, I'd like to hear, I'd like, no oh, Mr. Berger, I think our listeners would like to hear what those recommendations are. I mean, how do we get out of this? Go ahead. Ben.
1: Well, so the first the first stage was, the, I think, the hardest part is to admit that, and the staff was wonderful, the administration has been wonderful, uh, our staff was wonderful, and the stakeholders, that it was a hard conversation. So the first step is for any city to sit down and have a hard conversation. Why isn't more people building in these price points? Mm-hmm. And so the first recommendation was, after we all sat down and, and really had a frank conversation with all sides of this discussion, it's taking too long to produce them. It's taking too long to develop. It's taking too long. Our cycle times from zoning to moving people in the house is taking too darn long. So
2: mm-hmm.
1: we we had to find a baseline. It's all data driven. So we we had to find out what is it taking. So when we're talking about an average, whether it's large scale development or single family, preliminary plat or large scale, taking us three and a half average years, three and a half to four years in some cases and we threw out the, the oddities to make sure, especially during COVID and stuff. If it's taking that long, then A, it's too long for some of the government programs because you, you you lose your funding, and B, you can't... Like
2: low-income tax you, credits and stuff like that. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Well, yeah, you just, you don't, mm-hmm. in order, when you spread production out that long, yes, I may be doing a 100-lot subdivision, but if it takes me three years, I'm only really doing 33 lots there you a go. year. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... The idea was in order for us to really get more production with the same capacity, so if you have only a certain capacity in town to produce lots or housing, you have to reduce the time it takes to produce it because the same people are producing tomorrow as they are today. So if you can go from three-and-a-half to a two-year average, Mm -hmm. then you're really talking about making a difference. So now I'm doing 50 lots a year versus 33, with the same production capacity. Mm-hmm. So, we first had to, our first recommendation was to go through all of the processes and determine where we're really losing those times. We isolated those, we got with staff, and now we have a predictable, what we feel is a, a more predictable. Of course, please, as we go through these, we'll have to figure out what's working and what's not. Mm-hmm. But we were able to drop this on uh, single family from. 3.7 years to 2.5 years, and for multifamily from 3 years to 2.2, which satisfies being able to get some of this uh, tax credit programs and fully funded and not lose the funding. And so, process was the first thing. Second is okay, how do we reach these tiers? And it's it's a collective thing of of all many different items. But just to give you an idea, we have to have some way to increase density. Now. This is a tricky subject matter because when people hear this, they think, wow, they're going to ask for more density over the zoning that's allowed. But let me give you an example. Multifamily R4 in Bentonville, you're allowed up to 52 units an acre. But you can't reach that through all of the criteria, specifications, easements, requirements, landscaping. You only reach about an average of 20 units an acre. When you're allowed 52, you only reach about 22, 20 to 22 units an acre. So what we're trying to do is be realistic about what our real density is, not what's allowed, mm-hmm. and say, okay, if we can only get 20 units an acre, what is the tools? What do we need to do to maybe give you a 10% density bonus if you're going to go into this one of these tiers? And so then we have tools that the that the planning can use, whether it's reduced. Uh, right-of-way widths or narrower or easements working through some easements uh, instead of blanket easements some of the setbacks um, some of the land area dwelling units some of this gets way off in the weeds but we still have land area dwelling unit sizes per per building and uh, modifying the PUD process and other. so there are ways that if the administrator of the affordable aero process has tools that have been vetted, which was our second goal was to vet tools that staff could say we could work with planning and the stakeholders, builders, developers, bankers could say if we could use these tools, because every site's a little different, not saying we're going to do every tool, like one we might be able to more parking, the other one we may not be able to. So we we pre kind of pre-established vetted tools that will allow the administrator and planner to look at this and say, okay, If you're going to enter this and you want a density bonus, which is key, so summary density bonus is one of those tools. But how do you do that? Here's the recommended tools. And so as we move through those other tools, you have elimination of barriers that we we really tried to work with. So the process is one. We also are adding zonings that we don't have currently. Single family is really what I do. Uh, For instance, if I did a a medium-density project that allows 18 to 12 units an acre, I'm only able to get around six. So how do we get more units, a density bonus for that? So we'll have to have additional zonings like small-lot ordinances that will allow for cluster developments, uh, stacked duplexes, stacked triplexes, things that best practices around the country has worked well We just don't have it here, so you'll see some zoning changes, some morphing, some additional zoning categories that they're already working on to allow us to be bringing in some of that small lot ordinance to increase the density in single family, um, whether they're for rent or for purchase. So you have a lot of those types of tools that we're working on to try to facilitate and encouraging people to take advantage of these. You have other tools like CDBG. That is a community development block grant that the city hasn't participated in. Uh, we're now going to uh, reestablish that commitment to CDBG. So those funds could be used, utilized for affordable housing as a partnership tool or infrastructure or drainage. Um, so several tools are going to be mixed, depending on which tier you're in, to encourage and to make it more the ability to produce the product, whether it's for, for, for profit or for nonprofit, and uh, encourage more people to enter those, those markets.
0: Now, Bill, you mentioned this process has taken uh, quite some time to get th- that this working group's been working on this for a long, long time. How long did you work on this and, in, 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 you know, give us just some idea of the, of the, of the scope of it, who was involved in, in helping you come up with these recommendations?
1: Certainly, uh, you know there has been several reports recently, whether it would be the the U of A or the Walton Family Foundation with their housing task force, which I participated on. That was a three year process. Uh, there was ULI's process they're working through right now, but Bentonville's, when I did the resolution, it was uh, November last. Uh, excuse me, that would have been twenty one. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the process took. Uh, all of 22 and but instead of starting at scratch like we've done so many times before we started with the recommendations of previous reports and all their hard work and all their stakeholder input and then we looked at all the practices around the country uh, because there's a lot of good work that's been done so we looked at and you can get all those downloaded from the city website under the affordable category you can see all those downloaded reports case studies so then we took the best practices, and we started from there. So it was ability, and then we said, okay, what of these reports, what of all this hard work and previous works and best practices could be used for Bentonville? And then we started analyzing from there forward. And, uh, I, you know, we had participants uh, from the nonprofit. We had foundation participants. We had builders, developers, staff. Uh, administration i think that was the key is to have the staff and administration as part of this because a lot of this has to be vetted through the staff and department heads and utilities so we met uh, we met often and thousands of hours Um, and i have to thank you know jeff weber and the accelerate foundation the analytics their team over there continued to put out analytics and take all this data and and spit it back out there's there's no way we could have done all this information put out all this data without them and um, you know I can't thank them enough for that but the amount of work that's gone into this is not just the year that we did this which was thousands of hours by each participant but all the work to date before this and I mean years even before the the, the Family Foundation uh, uh, report there were several housing efforts in bentonville whether it's at the chamber or others before that that we were participating on and when i was state president of the home builders we had one then so this was the first time though and i have to admit i I just i want to reiterate this we didn't start over we started where everybody finished and to try to come up with real action for what works for our town and hopefully it's a model that people can duplicate now maybe take this and take it to each of their towns and say, well, no, this doesn't work, but this could. Mm-hmm. Well, Fayetteville's different than us, but in general, a lot of this could work. Yeah.
0: So uh, you've, you've got your report together, you've got these recommendations, and uh, um, what is the next step as far as Bentonville goes uh, with these? Are you, um, I'm assuming these will be presented in the form of ordinances, they'll be debated, and we'll see, we'll see what the City Council says from this point, is that what happens next?
1: Yes, we, we we basically had the, the final report, its recommendations, and its implementation approved by a city council. In other words, we have an implementation uh, in the report and its recommendations, and we had a 7-1 vote on the council. So we now have support, and planning has its support, to move forward on these recommendations. We're currently making a list of what's requiring ordinance or policy changes. Gotcha. And, uh, of course, Tyler and Shelly, which has been great, couldn't have been done without the planning staff. They were fantastic. and uh, but So they're going to make a list of, here's the changes we have. They're working on several already, like the zonings already, the and the PUD and PRD amendments to make that a little better process. Uh, so they're already working on some of these things and zonings, uh, and we should have an implementation committee put together here shortly to, you know, the critical thing of this, Rusty and Doug is, it's all great unless you fall short on getting it done to your point so we're going to have a kind of a accountability and and a helping group to look at this as we go over these next six months to be sure that we continue this movement and refining this down to uh, statute ordinances and policy changes and bringing those piece by piece in in a methodical method to where we get all of these recommendations and if some of them have to be morphed a little bit to to fit the code or the laws as we move forward uh, like we're looking at impact fees you know if, if we're going on this tier three where you're trying to get wrenched down to 780 dollars or a home payment that's going to take all all the help we can get so we're looking at uh it allows in our ordinance to to waive fees but what does that really mean we have a consultant looking at impact fees so that's going to be another month or two on that so really the hard work to answer your question that's what's in front of us and um, I think everybody's still willing to push forward and and the committee and the group is willing to continue to move forward and I think admin is is in the mayor's office is sees this as the most important thing that we can do with besides infrastructure and transportation and so I think that you'll see this happen and these trickle in so to speak over the next six months to finalize this thing now
2: Bill, I'm going to mention a bad word, NIMBY, not in my backyard. The city administration, and of course your your working group, are ready to move forward on this, but is the public going to, is the public primed and ready, especially the homeowning public in Bentonville, primed and ready to accept some of these changes as necessary? What do you think?
1: I think so. Uh, You know, as I as I talk to people at all different walks of life, usually this subject matter hits home with somebody in their family or themselves. There you go. Uh, We have to educate people. And I think the Northwest Council talked a lot at the at the meeting the other night about uh, they're going to be really trying to educate people and, and bring the information to to light on how important this is and and what it looks like for each of our communities and I think if we can – this is more of a personal side. Mm-hmm. I think if we can share really the, the facts about this, that all we're trying to do is make sure that you can't make – you can't everybody can't, but at least the bulk of our citizens or, or workforce that want to live in Bentonville, we offer diverse housing options for them. And when we, when, if we can share with them what this community looks like, if we have everyone participating in it and what our possibilities are versus if we don't and what our community would look like if we, if we alienate or, or we have a community that's not inclusive to everyone, what's that look like? So we really just have to tell the story of which community do you see in the future? Do you see a community like we've had that made this a beautiful small town feel and everybody gets along and there's workforce at all levels and people can afford to live here and work here and play here? Or is it, is that not what you want? If it's not what you want, speak up. That's okay. This conversation needs to ha- happen, and we don't want anybody to feel like they can't share exactly how they feel. For me, for somebody that's lived here for so long and – and, you know, I understand the difficulty of living, losing the ground next to you or the, the field you used to play in or the house you grew up in. I get it. But what are my grandkids going to live in? You know, how is it going to look? For, are they going to have to drive in from almost Oklahoma to work here? Or are they going to be able to live next to me or down the street and I can just go around the corner to see my grandkids? Well, that's, that's, uh, that's the conversation. And I think you're right, you know. Pardon the,
2: the speculative speculation here. I have young adult children. You know, we're sitting around here wondering how the heck they can ever afford to live here, and we want them to live here. So yeah, I think it, it's. I think you got a point there.
1: At fifteen hundred a month, you really can't. They can't, can they? No, no, they can't not very much that's, that's fresh out of college where are they going to live gentry or, which is nothing wrong with gentry or grab it's a beautiful place or but then they can't afford
0: to drive here well yeah, <laughs> and work for hourly wage well and that's i think i think we've seen lots of reports from the council from the northwest Arkansas council uh and and other organizations that you know the farther as you know as as those subdivisions and and affordable housing gets farther and farther from the city centers um you know that that starts to impact quality of life through cost of transportation, commute times, traffic, all those sorts of things. Uh, it's it's you know that has a that has a, uh, uh, a devaluing effect on the on the on the quality of life as well. So, uh, well, and it's
1: also hard to recruit somebody when you go to hire them and they can't find a place to live they can afford, and they all of a sudden can't take the job.
0: Exactly. Yeah,
1: and oh. it happens. We had we had Dr. Jones from the schools give us great examples in a meeting we had not long ago that, you know, we shall have contracts with somebody to come in and, and be a teacher, and then all of a sudden they're they're having to drive so far. They chose a different school. Look, I was just to be able to live here, and that's just one example of many. Mm-hmm. Talk to any businesser businesses here, including myself.
0: I've you heard know? that from multiple school districts where uh, they've had you know they've not been able to hire someone who wanted to come to work here because they couldn't find a place. Uh, affordable place to live close enough I was uh,
2: I was filling in at a uh, Fayetteville school board meeting uh, one one day and and they were talking about hiring a new superintendent because the current superintendent's retiring and a board member came right out and said, used to we could tell people in other states, hey, you can sell your house if, and for yeah. what you what you sold it for <laughs> you can buy a mansion here
1: yeah.
2: <laughs> we they can't and they and she flat out said we can't do that anymore we've lost that yeah so yeah yeah
1: we're running about 50 our our core, which I say is the corridor here, mm-hmm. our housing and transportation cost to a family is running about 51% now, which is one of the highest in the nation.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Um, I look at it when you talk about a policy side I'm, for a council person. What does it cost the city to get enough infrastructure to bring in 34,000 people a day? Not including the ones that can't work here, mm-hmm. but the infrastructure to pay for that. Or do I find ways to encourage that for people to be able to live here and keep their their dollars here and keep them going to their activities after work here instead of driving and building bigger and bigger roads out there it's a win-win across the board not including the economic impact of the homes being built here the, the sales tax the economic impact of them living here property tax so forth and so they're still in the school district we're just not collecting the tax in town so it's uh, it's a win-win to, if we find a way and Make sure we, we stay on this until we find the way to get that changed.
0: Now, Bill, you mentioned uh, a little earlier too that yeah you know, we've talked about Bentonville because this is a, a, a this this reports a product of the the city of Bentonville and in in uh, uh, your work with the Bentonville stakeholders. This is not a Bentonville problem; it's a regional problem. Uh, and this is you know Bentonville has taken a fairly aggressive step here to to address it. So you know if this works. It certainly has the potential of being uh, mirrored in other communities. Rogers, Fayetteville, Springdale—they're all going to experience, are all experiencing this thing. So uh, you know, perhaps this is a model that can, that can be carried forward into other communities.
1: Well, I hope I hope it can be. And we're, we're not that—that's our intention. But as it was wrapping up, we realized this could be a model in the leadership of the mayor and others. Uh, you know this could be a model you've got the Northwest Council with Duke at the Northwest council in Housing is working on a regional approach ULI uh, Wes over at ULI is working on their regional approach which is going to be out probably in a month uh, you know you're talking everything from housing trust funds to so everybody recognizes this so I think you'll see some regional approaches come out because we're gonna need regional transportation uh, and that's in the works as well we tailored ours to align with those, but not address them on a regional basis only because we know that there's other parties that are working on that. We just want ours to work and coincide with those. So cities a little different. Each city, like our city's different in Fayetteville. They're gonna have different needs, but 80% of this report could be duplicated and then modified for the the demographic shift that you have in Fayetteville versus Bentonville, Mm -hmm. for instance, or the income range.
0: All right. Well, this is very interesting. We've been doing a lot of these podcasts over the last couple of years on housing, and this is uh, just an extension of all of that. It is a uh, it is is a top of mind problem for the the people who are paying attention uh, about about the quality of life and the economy of Northwest Arkansas. So, thanks for your uh, thanks for your time today, and thanks for your input on this uh, on this report. We'll be watching to see how things go in Bentonville and and uh, and the rest of the region as it comes to uh, finding ways to supply more affordable housing. Um, my guest today on the Know the News podcast were uh, Doug Thompson, a reporter uh, for us here at the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette, who's got a story about Bentonville's efforts to streamline this, the process of building and providing more affordable housing in the community. And also Bill Burkhart. He's a member of the city council in Bentonville, and he's also a longtime uh, developer and businessman in Bentonville who has great insight into the housing uh, market. He's, uh, he's the owner of Burkhart Construction Bill, thank you for being here today.
1: Well, I appreciate you having me, and thank you for bringing this topic to the forefront.
0: All right. Doug, thank you. We'll be looking forward to your, your story this weekend. Thank you. Thank you, Doug. Let me take a moment to tell you about some other great content we've got coming your way this weekend. Stacey Ryburn will tell us about plans to spend $1.3 million to upgrade Fayetteville's Gully Park, including a new playground, a new splash pad, and a pavilion. The ongoing restoration of the Opera House building in downtown Rogers has been moving slowly. Neighboring businesses want to know when more progress will be made, and the owners say the exterior restoration should be completed by summer. Garrett Moore has the details. Students at Bentonville's Thaden School want to do a traffic-calming project near its downtown location. Mike Jones will have that story. Our new education reporter, Al Gaspany, weighs in with a story about Lowell Elementary School and Tucker Middle School and their first student resource officers on campus. Tom Sissom will update developments on the planned expansion of the Washington County Jail. Thomas Sissenta has been keeping us updated on the efforts to get potable water to residents of rural areas in Crawford County. He'll have an update with some significant progress in that effort. All of this and much more will be available to our subscribers in our weekend editions of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the River Valley Democrat Gazette. If you're not a subscriber, we'd love to have you support local journalism by signing up. Just go to one of our websites and click on the subscribe button, or you can call us at 479-684-5509. That number, again, is 479-684-5509. The Know the News podcast is brought to you weekly by the newsrooms of the Northwest Arkansas Democrat Gazette and the River Valley Democrat Gazette. We'll be back next week with a new edition. And until then, this is your host, Rusty Turner, saying so long.